Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, Rethink and Reboot Strategy, Revisiting Campus Master Plans, we are joined by Ron Schumacher, President of Terra State Community College, Todd Hernandez, President of Northwest State Community College, Jennifer Fenrick, Client Relations Manager at Pogemeyer Design Group, a Kleinfelder company, and Tom Sens, Client Leader at BHDP. In the midst of developing campus master plans, our guests discuss the unique opportunities and challenges community colleges face and the importance of regularly revisiting strategic planning. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP. Let's get started. So what are some of the challenges that community colleges are facing right now? Some of the discussions got to be focused on the great resignation that we've been faced with over the last several months. And Todd and I joked that didn't hit us until <laughs> about three or four weeks ago when we started seeing some of these things come in. I mentioned post-COVID. I think the lessons that we learned during the last two years are going to prepare us for whatever's coming up this fall as we get into potentially another environment where we have a couple more surges coming at us. And I know a lot of people are COVID tired, <laughs> um, but we can't put it behind us just yet because there's a lot of things that we've got to make sure we keep in place so that we keep people safe and coming back to campus. I know for our students, about 70 to 75% of them, they want to be in person. They want to be on campus working right hand in hand with their faculty members. And we took strides last year when we put bipolar ionization units in every one of our air handlers in all of our buildings so that no matter if we're indoors during the winter months or indoors during the summer months, that ionization is keeping that air clean and switching out that air airflow a number of different times so that we can all make sure that there won't be any surges on our campus, hopefully. So you took that opportunity to invest in infrastructure uh, to guarantee air quality, which was the how things were transmitted to begin with. Correct. And especially as kind of the beginning months of the pandemic, you know, we knew we were getting some money in. How did we want to spend it to make sure that we were taking care of not only our students, but also our faculty and staff. And in fact, every building on campus, we went in and did that too, which which was not a small undertaking whatsoever, but it gave people uh, quite the peace of mind. And as we're surveying them now in terms of, hey, how did we do responding to your needs throughout the pandemic from faculty, staff, and students? A lot of the messages we see that come back to us is we feel like the administration supported us because of some of these activities that we took part in. Yeah, gave them a sense of psychological safety. We feel like our well-being was important to you and you took care of it, right? Correct. One of the things you mentioned is that 75% of the students want to be back on campus. We did some research over the course of 2020. It was called the Student Experience Moving Forward, where we had a series of virtual focus groups with probably 8 to 10 
different student groups. And the number one thing that they impressed upon us is we want to be back on campus. So for you to be able to prepare your campus to have students in this classroom, that's great. The other thing I think when we first met, you made this point that just still sticks with me. And your point was very simple. It's, hey, we're not going back to 2019. This is going to be a new experience. We're going to learn from the pandemic. We're going to be different. Our campus is going to transform differently, but we're going to come out of this in a good situation. So just the idea that we're not going backwards, but we're going forward in a very strategic way. I think it was a, a great point to, t- to kick off that master planning process. We are actually in process, as, as uh, you guys well know, of, of doing a reboot of the strategic plan. Not so much the major initiatives, but the supporting pieces underneath that hopefully will assist us as we move into soon what will be a post-COVID environment. Yeah. Yeah, Todd, did you want to share something? Yeah, I wanted to jump in a little bit and um you know, just just add that enrollments at community colleges are a challenge right now. And and a little backdrop on that, nationally, the community college enrollments are down 15% from pre-COVID numbers. I feel very blessed and fortunate that the Northwest State's actually at pre-COVID numbers, slightly above. But our demographic has shifted. We've we've gone from traditional students and dual enrollment students, which are high school students taking classes with us and workforce, kind of even to where a majority of our enrollments are workforce and college credit plus, which is dual enrollment. And then our traditional student population is down 15, 16% pre-COVID. So overall, we're, we're there. And, and what we're finding with enrollments is the same challenge we're finding with our own workforce, like our own employees. Students are choosing not to participate. I have a, a friend who's got a daughter, very first job ever, is going to work at, at a local retail for $15 and 50 cents. Students are choosing not to participate in higher education because they anticipate being able to make enough money without any additional education. Uh-huh. And so that's a challenge, but we're having a challenge filling empty roles because people are jumping from lower pay with benefits to just higher pay. And unfortunately, it's it's something that's going to catch up to us, right? People that are, are choosing to go to Dollar General in, instead of an education they're going to be at Dollar General in, in three years and five years and 10 years, and that, that economic mobility isn't going to exist for them. So I think the, the message we need to get out there is like we, we know you can make more money right now. We know you need to pay your bills. Let us help you find a way, but you need to invest in yourself. Yeah, I, I think it's really powerful, though, this discussion, and I love the invest in yourself. And in return – you as leaders of institutions are investing in yourselves. You're investing in the institution by way of the campus master planning. And it's really important to be able to provide what those students need now, but also in terms of the workforce training to get them on a path, right? You know, so it's like you can work at the Dollar General or or have that employment now, but come back and get retooled and retrained and it's lifelong learning. And so they may come back once, they may come back twice, and so those are the things I think that is so key and it's it's so refreshing to see the two of you as leaders to be focused on investing in your campuses in response to the students investing in themselves. So so how you talk about the 15% reduction in enrollment for most community colleges, how are you keeping students engaged? Well, for us, I mentioned our demographic has changed and we've we've been fortunate that we were diverse before COVID hit, but a large enrollment 
population for us is high school, right? High school students are going to persist. They, they need to get to their diploma. And at least in our area, most high school kids reach that graduation. Not all, but most. And then the, another major demographic for us are apprentices and workforce. And they're going to persist because when they complete their apprenticeship or they complete their program, they're getting money from their employer, right? They're yeah. going to get a huge pay increase. So from that perspective, we really didn't have to do a lot of work to get students to stay engaged. And I, I should mention, and Ron, maybe you can build on this, like this is the first economic contraction in the history of Northwest State. So going all the way back to 1968, the first time the economy has contracted, like didn't even have to enter a recession where our enrollments didn't shoot up. Wow. They actually, you know, we were able to to stay level, but it's the first time in history where community college enrollments didn't go up. And there's lots of reasons for that. And, and Ron, maybe you, you want to elaborate on that? A little? <laughs> yeah, thanks for shooting me that one. Um, <laughs> I, I think as much as uh, the federal government, the state government wanted to support people who lost their jobs during the pandemic, it did a couple other things as well and made people realize that maybe there's something more important for me than to go into work at, you know, a $10 an hour job, $12 an hour job, or even going back to school. Because look how scarce that life is. I think about some of the things that Todd talked about that Tara put in place prior to the pandemic that is now having this impact on us. We put together a CCP program feeder into Terra State with Vanguard, the tech center. And so students, when they're a sophomore, they get into this platinum program at the tech center. And for a year and a half, they're doing some college credit plus courses with the college. In their second semester of their junior year, it flips and they're doing most of their courses at Terra State. So that by the time they graduate high school, they're graduating with an associate degree from Terra State free. Wow. And at, at 17, 18 years old, these students are now ready for a job. I think for us, it is identify the weaknesses and adapt. And I think that's what we did in the CCP program. Jennifer, I was just going to say, um, maybe you and I can share... Uh, a couple of learnings from the master plan relative to student engagement and involvement. You're stealing I, my question, Tom. <laughs> I mean, we we, did, a num we yeah. did a number of student focus groups, and really this was one of the commonalities between Terra and Northwest State. We found that the students really wanted to have that student center, student union experience that didn't exist on campus in either Northwest State or Terra. So we're starting to think about how we create those soft spaces, those spaces where students, when they take a break, they're going to go out to their cars, believe it or not. So how can we create spaces that the students want to stay on campus between classes? They want to stay engaged and, you know, actively collaborating with one another. Jennifer, would you like to just comment on some of what you heard? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that this was definitely a topic that came up with both institutions in terms of the focus group studies that we did. And I think it is truly about the fact that these students are working two and three jobs and they have families and they have other commitments. And so their time is very very valuable, not unlike what we're seeing in terms of the COVID and, you know, that work-life balance and making sure they can get all of their priorities and their their tasks and responsibilities completed in, in a period of, you know, each, each and every day. And so what can the institutions do to help make that 
more convenient for students. You know, that gets into the hybrid course offerings and, you know, whether that's land-based versus online and virtual and what that blend looks like moving forward. But also in terms of having those spaces available on campus so that when they are there for a period of two to three classes or what have you, they have that space and that environment for optimal learning within the classroom, but then also optimal use of their time in between classes. It was critical to them. I mean, even something as simple as, you know, just more charging stations. I mean, it just doesn't have to be rocket science in some ways. It could be just some of those small day-to-day conveniences that we might take for granted. One of the items that you heard, at least in our focus group, I haven't seen Ron's data was the the students feel like we care that that we have an interest in their success and we're we're committed to their success and there's a transformation within higher education and and it's already happened in the private sector right if you're a private corporation you realize that you have to solve your customers problems in order for them to keep coming back to you right well we're starting to do that in higher education I'd like to share a, a quick story one of the items I do for in student student engagement is I have dinner with um, six to eight students per month out in the community. So we find a restaurant, make a reservation, and I have dinner. And, and one of the first questions I always ask is, so w- what made you want to have dinner with the president? And I get I get everything from, well, it was a free dinner <laughs> to, to I had a question from a, a young Hispanic gentleman. Who said, uh, well, President Hernandez, I, I wanted to talk to you. As a, as a Hispanic who's reached the level that you have in your success and your organization, what are you going to do for the Hispanics in our community? And I'm like, I thought we were here for dinner. Like that, <laughs> That's a different kind of conversation, right? And, and so I, I thought about it a little bit, and I, I gave them a, kind of my family history. I'm first generation, and once I completed college, my mom, my, several of my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, like it, it just opened this floodgates for my family. But that really didn't answer his question. So I came back to him and said, look, I'd like to revisit. And this really isn't about Hispanics. It's, it's, it's about our community in, in whole. And one of the items that I've been in my institution for 12 years, been president for a year, but I've been here for 12 years. And one of the items that I'm most proud of is – Taking our institution from an institution where we had all these rules and and regulations and and hoops in place, and if you could jump through all the hoops and you could meet all our rules and you could pay for a class, we'll let you take a class with you. And we really – we've transformed as an institution, and we've made it as easy as we possibly can, and we help our students overcome their barriers. I mentioned earlier, private sector, you have to solve your customers' problems in order to keep them as a customer. We have to help our students solve their problems to keep them as a student. And when I got done, it went around the table. The, the gentleman that had asked me the question started coming to Northwest State in 2003. Wow. And c- came for a little bit, and ha- life happened. <laughs> I wouldn't say that Northwest State drove him away, but we certainly didn't do much to keep him there. And he's graduating this term next, on Sunday. I'm giving him his accounting degree, and he's already got a job lined up. And then we went across the table to a to a lady who had been coming here since 2008, and very similar story. She's not finishing this term, but she she's moving along in her program. And then an, another student said that they've been coming to classes since 2013, stopped coming, life happens, coming back, they're finishing this term. So everyone at that table said they noticed how we were different today than we were 
in 2013, 2008, 2003. So, you know, the master, some of the comments from the master plan, that's just an affirmation of, of where I feel we've, we're, we're headed. We're not there. It's, you know, equity and inclusion isn't a destination. It's a path, yeah. but we're certainly, we're certainly headed in the right direction. I want you to uh, build on a comment that you made maybe a meeting or two ago. You kind of said what was strategic is still strategic. If you recall the strategic plan where your point was obviously the master plan, it's that sort of physical translation of the strategic plan needs to build on that. But your point, I think, was the strategic plan was approved right after the pandemic ensued in March of 2020. But really now that those strategies are still in place. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We approved our current strategic plan in April of 2020, so one month into the pandemic. But what was on our strategic plan? Access, equity, and inclusion. Like that's something we needed to work on. And and we we committed early on in the pandemic, we're going to keep working on these. We're going to keep finding ways to help our students solve their problems. Another area was academic programming. What academic programs does our community need? And we launched several new programs during the COVID era, and we we sunsetted some as well. So just those types of things, all of those things that were in the strategic plan were still high priority for us. Now, we might have worked on them a little bit differently, mm-hmm. or we might have bumped some of the tactics around in the, as far as priority goes. But strategies should transcend even a worldwide pandemic. Like, I mean, it doesn't mean things don't change, but your strategy, who you want to be as an institution shouldn't change. It's not just about how many buildings do you need and where do they go. It's the what's your approach for how to keep people engaged, uh, how do you keep faculty excited and coming in. This isn't just a master plan from the top down. What we did is we did focus groups with a number of different student groups, with faculty, with staff, with community and business leaders to really share that message of what we were developing, getting their input and thereby, you know, getting buy-in from those different constituent groups. So it's a process of, you know, really consensus building. Yeah, I I would just add to that, that, you know, Tom, you touched on it a little bit. It, it, It was a comprehensive effort and it really was very collaborative. And we were careful to ensure that we were getting input and buy-in and feedback from a, a, a wide variety of stakeholder groups mm-hmm. to the institutions. And, you know, as you just mentioned, you cannot miss focusing on one area of the college. Well, a master plan needs to be equally comprehensive. You know, whether that is looking at soft spaces for student engagement, whether it's looking at storage space and functionality and break rooms for faculty and staff. And then, of course, the ever uh, important of looking at spaces in terms of new academic programs or expanding existing programs and meeting those needs of our employers and so on and so forth. The process uncovered a blind spot for me, if, if you recall. like there, I had no idea that, that the campus, the community, the students, the faculty felt that we needed an event center. Like that wasn't on my radar. I was pushing that out to the next president, but we pushed it right up but <laughs> based on the feedback. I think it's coming in their own voice, right? Coming in the faculty voice, coming in the student voice. Some of the folks who have been around here for 30 some years who just said, you know, if we only had this. I've seen a lot of master plans in my days where you identify these beautiful new buildings that are going to be coming out of the ground when that funding becomes available. We took a very different tact. What we did is we looked at the existing 
physical assets on campus and really tried to figure out how to leverage those to the de- degree that we could. So building B is an example on Terra's campus, you know, that could become that quasi student center. Building A, the Oasis, the Atrium, you've got some great spaces on campus that you really don't need to build new space. It's just taking advantage of the existing space that you have and, you know, just leverage that asset a little bit more strategically. That was one of the things I think was very common between the two master plans. Yeah, Tom, I, I think it's a valid point because we keep getting asked those same questions by the folks down in Columbus who handle all those purse strings about, do you have available facilities that you can renovate instead of building new? And I think for both of us, that was pretty important. For sure. Yeah. Jennifer, anything else you wanted to share? No, I think this was really good. So just really appreciate everyone's time. And we touched on on quite a bit. So definitely. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHTP for this episode, Rethink and Reboot Strategy, Revisiting Campus Master Plans with Ron Schumacher, President of Terra State Community College, Todd Hernandez, President of Northwest State Community College, Jennifer Fenrick, Client Relations Manager at Pokemeyer Design Group, a Kleinfelder company, and Tom Sens, Client Leader at BHDP. If you appreciate what you have heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.